Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who get tears in their eyes within 15 seconds of hearing the score from Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2008's The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2. <laughs> for as long as I could remember, the four of us shared everything. that the sisterhood could survive anything. <laughs> but we had to learn on our own how to become ourselves without losing each other. So Audrey, it's a big moment on the podcast today. Would you like <laughs> to um, address your physical appearance right now? Yeah, so... Last week, I said I disclosed that I was hiding my bangs and I, that I would do a bang reveal when I figured out how to have them. And I have <laughs> since figured out how to have them and like sleep on them and stuff overnight, like when they're drying. So, yeah. This is it. It's the moment. <laughs> they look cute. I I'm okay. I still don't really. I don't know how I feel about them entirely, but I'm I'm okay with it. Like I've made my peace with them. <laughs> You're on the path to understanding. Yeah, I do think they look cool, but I just don't know how I feel about them on my head. To those who have only ever seen us in the podcast artwork and don't watch the YouTube version, Audrey has very curly dark hair. And um, the curls are not half-assed. <laughs> you have like legit, very curly hair. Yeah. So curly bangs. It's not just normal bangs. We're yeah. Talking right. About. And and ever since um, Taylor Swift had that curly bang moment, like in um, I think it was Reputation. It was when that first started happening. I was like, that is disgusting. I hate it. Like I literally hated it. <laughs> Um, I was like, why would she do that? And also because her hair naturally, like back in the day, is really similar to how mine is just now. Mm -hmm. um, but then she like strained it so much that you the curls are not what they used to be. But when she started like gelling it and, and doing these like curly bangs, it was so bad to me. And I was like, I vow to never, yeah. ever, ever, ever do that. And now here I am. But I think it's better than that. <laughs> I think it's better. Two things. When you say uh, gelled curly bangs, just gelled curls in general remind me so much of like middle school girls. Yeah. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, I think your curls are like way more legit than hers are at this point. Yeah, so at this you're not giving Shaggy at Dog. At this point, yes. At but all. like if you look at like her 2008 hair, like that it is very similar. Um yes. But yeah, well. so yeah, they're here. Um if if you don't ever watch the video version, I guess you'll see in the thumbnail, but <laughs> yeah. there you go. When are you going to do, like, a grid post on I don't your Instagram know. to, like, really hard launch? I don't know. I might not. <laughs> like, I'm sure everybody probably agrees with this. Posting on Instagram has become so awkward. Like, posting on, like, your 
page, like your name page. I just, I don't know. I think some people just have a way healthier relationship with it. Well, the people who do still post a lot, but aren't like influencers, that can be yeah good and healthy because they don't care about likes. Like we're so far past this point of caring about mm-hmm. likes. But for me at this point, I'm like, I just don't even have the image. Like what image would I really <laughs> want to share anyway? But I feel like you're kind of good at posting ca- more casually. I'm I can't do that. It feels like you have to like have a baby just to post on Instagram. Like, oh my God. Yeah. No, I don't feel that way. I'm at the point where I feel like for better or for worse, like my own posts kind of feel like journal-y to me. Like I like to use them to remember like good things that have happened or like little trips or whatever. Um, but not in like the hyper polished yeah, way. Like a, just that's in what like it should the, be. It went from those like really polished edited like pictures of yourself to photo dumps and like mm-hmm. photo dump culture. And that also yeah. is like not ideal because it's like fake casual in a lot of ways. It's like, okay, yes. now you're just agonizing over like 10 pictures instead of one. So like, are you really, yeah. you're not really doing it like you think you are. See, I don't know if, because I'm a, I'm an advocate for the casual Instagram moment that's happening, but I wouldn't say that I agonize over it. It's more just that I'm like, how can I curate this in a way that I would find interesting? Well, I'm not talking about you because I think I can tell that you're not agonizing over it, but you know, when you can tell... You really can yeah. tell with some people that they're like zooming into yeah. specific trash on the street. Like, like, oh, like you right. know what I mean? Just right. like image yes. based, like weird clout things. I just don't. No, and so because saying. of that, it's like, I, I don't even want to be perceived that way. So I'm like, let me just do nothing. I'll just do nothing. <laughs> I mean, being perceived in general is stressful. So I get Yeah, that. we already put ourselves out here enough. Okay, I have two things to say before oh my we start God. actually talking about the movie. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go quickly though. Okay, so you guys are gonna be hearing this episode on Thursday, March 10th, which means that on this very day, my play is going up. It is opening night, and just send me positive energies as you're listening to this. Also, our outfits are inverse matching, and our hair because mine's like thin blonde bob and hers is like bangs curly dark big it's like um we we were brats that came like in the same box oh my gosh wait i'm roxy and you're phoebe you know what a role reversal yeah because it it really did used to be the opposite Mm -hmm. yeah the hot take of the week this is one of audrey's core truths yeah is from ticket and we love ticket we know ticket irl Mm hi um and they ask animated versus live action. For me, this is the easiest question on the planet because it's something that our family has always talked about in regards to my media Mm -hmm. consumption. Always live action over animated. Like starting with Mr. Rogers, Out of the Box, like those types of shows. Sound of Music. Yeah. I don't feel super committed on either side, but I do think that these days, I know this sounds like a red flag, but I swear it's not. I think I'm leaning more in the direction of animated. I literally 
know you are. Well, it's kind of like the euphoria thing for me at this point. Like I tried to watch it and I was like, I absolutely cannot withstand this. Like I just, I just can't, especially if I'm already stressed. Like my, my shit currently is like Drag Race and Sailor Moon. And that's basically it because I don't have a ton of time to watch stuff in the first place. Guess what? We're about to get into this movie, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2. <laughs> and I'm going to jump right into the facts now that we've gotten all of that out of the way. Um, yes, so please. It was released on August 6th, 2008, and it is rated PG-13. And I do feel like... I didn't really recall this movie coming out this late. Like 2008 seemed a little more recent than I thought. <laughs> I don't know. This movie was directed by Sanaa Hamri, and she is known for directing Something New and Just Right, which is a Queen Latifah movie. As far as TV goes, though, she's quite prolific. She has directed episodes of Empire, Glee, Nashville, Shameless, 911, American Horror Stories, not American Horror Story. Um, she started out in music videos, and she was an editor turned director. Um, um, but like she made music videos for Mariah Carey, Destiny's Child, A-Teens, and Prince. And she directed Super Bass, um, the Nicki Minaj music video. <laughs> so clearly she's good at what she does. And yeah, yes. I just appreciate the fact that she quickly, she seemed to have quickly moved from editing to directing, which is cool. This was produced by Deborah Martin Chase, partly who we love. Uh -huh. um, we've talked about her before, but she has produced Courage Under Fire, Just Right, the 1997 Cinderella, Cheetah Girls, The Princess Diaries 1 and 2, Lemonade Mouth, American Girl movies, truly just like everything. Everything you could ever want. Denise DeNovi also produced. She We've talked about her a lot as well in the mm -hmm. past. Heather's mm -hmm. Little Women, James and the Giant Peach, Ramona and Beezus, New York Minute, Monte Carlo, Crazy Stupid Love, A Walk to Remember. Like, dang. Prolific. Leslie Morgenstein. Yeah. I, I forget what the tier level of these producers were, but I just listed the ones that were like, cooler or more important. Leslie Morgenstein yeah. produced Everything, Everything, You, Pretty Little Liars, Vampire Diaries, The Sun is Also a Star, Gossip Girl, Huge, and The Click movie. So that's like a mixture of TV and movies. Whoa. But can you believe that <laughs> list? That's, that's a really powerful list. Yeah. And then finally, Christine A. Sicani. She has produced The Fosters, Good Trouble, New York Minute, Eloise at Christmas Time, and a lot of the same stuff that is above on this list. So Whoa. when you put these ladies together, it's like having like the Spice Girls of of like girl content. <laughs> like it's just like everything. Yeah. And the screenplay for this movie was written by Elizabeth Chandler, who wrote the first movie. She wrote the screenplay for the first movie. She also wrote What a Girl mm -hmm. Wants, A Little Princess, and Eloise at Christmas Time. Um, and move over France, Francis Hodgson Burnett. <laughs> it was actually written by Elizabeth Chandler. Yeah, move over. Um, <laughs> and of course, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is based on a novel by Anne Brashears. <laughs> I always want to say Brashears because mm -hmm. it was our eighth grade um, <laughs> or seventh grade. It was eighth grade. Yeah. Um, like history, history teacher. teacher. <laughs> 
Um, Mr. Brashear, he was scary. Shout out. Yeah, he was terrifying. And she is solely an author. But interestingly, there have been announcements for another Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants movie with no real concrete developments, but it's called Sisterhood Everlasting. And this is the logline for it. A group of four former school friends reunite for a road trip after growing apart in their adult lives. My eyes are rolling so hard. Like, I hope you can hear it at home. (laughs) You don't want it? I just, I just don't know if I can withstand seeing them beating this dead horse any longer. Like, I, I just want it to be like a different conflict. Like, oh, they're growing apart. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, really? Just come on. It should be called We're Growing Apart (laughs) 3. Right. Yeah. You're totally right. Um, Okay. So do you want to read the log line? Following freshman year at college, best friends Tibby, Lena, Carmen, and Bridget find it increasingly difficult to stay in touch. (laughs) As their lives take different paths, it may take more than a shared pair of well-worn blue jeans to keep their bonds from completely unraveling. I just think it's so funny that, like, the setup is they're finding it increasingly difficult to stay in touch. It's like, guys, maybe take the cue. Maybe take the cue. Right. But we'll get into that. It's like taking, yeah, we will (laughs) definitely get into it. Um, The tagline for this movie, there's only one, and it is some friends just fit together. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. Um, Do you want to do cast? Wow. There's a lot of people here. Yeah. All right. We got this. We got this. We got this. Okay. America Ferreira plays Carmen in this movie, and she is best known for Ugly Betty, Superstore, How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> and uh, she's going to be in the Greta Gerwig Barbie movie. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very interested to see what role she plays there. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have the one and only Blake Lively playing Bridget. Definitely best known, at least to us, as Serena Vander Woodson in Gossip Girl. Um, she also was in The Age of Adeline, which weirdly I saw in theaters. Um, and then <laughs> she's also in The Shadows. and were you in where you had to see that? There was this girl I was friends with in college. She was in my acapella group and her name was Paige. Her name is Paige. She's still alive and well. Um, <laughs> and before we got in these like extremely consuming relationships with boys, we were like each other's go-to friend for like really stupid activities. Like we would go see movies together. We would like go to weird concerts. Like we would go to drag shows together. And like we just had like a really good time. But we were like activity friends. Yeah. And for some reason we were like, let's go see the Blake Lively movie. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, like gladly. And I remember seeing that with her in theaters in New York and it was very fun. Okay, then after that, we have Alexis Bladell playing Lena, obviously best known for playing Rory in Gilmore Girls, but she also was in Sin City, Tuck Everlasting, and The Handmaid's Tale. Ooh. I am alarmed at what I am seeing ahead of me. So we have Amber Tamblin playing <laughs> Tibby, um, and she's best known for Joan of Arcadia, The Grudge 2, and apparently she's going to be in something called Cleveland. Yeah. Um, all that I could glean from the description is that basically... It's so, it's so like typical Ohio, New York content. This is like becoming its own subgenre. 
it's like this man, <laughs> this like dude and his girlfriend, I think Tibby's the girlfriend. They're like, they like become convinced or like they convince their friend group that like, if they can just, they should all just move to Cleveland and like, ever, and like rebuild their lives or some shit, which is played out. That, that actually is played out. I don't know if it's played out that literally, but it is in throwaway lines all the time. Like that sort yeah. of sentiment is has been expressed, I feel like. Literally leave Brittany alone. <laughs> That's how I feel about Cleveland at this point. But I bet the person who wrote that or is like making it happen is probably from Cleveland. Yeah, I'm sure they are. I, I would hope. So it's like, whatever. <sighs> whatever. Okay. Also though, interesting to look at how each of these four girls had like really big TV roles. Yeah. Like Gilmore Girls, Joan of Arcadia, Gossip Girl, Ugly Betty. All those shows were like anchored by each of them respectively. So kind of love that. Kind of cool. In the most jump scare casting <laughs> I have ever witnessed in my life, we have Effie, Alexis Bledel's younger sister, played by none other than Lucy Hale. <laughs> so random um and she's best known for being in pretty little liars truth or dare scream for and fantasy island see i never watched pretty little liars because i was slightly on the older edge of it yeah okay and then next we have rachel nichols who i have opinions on but i'm trying (laughs) to keep them in um playing julia and she is best known for G.I. Joe, Star Trek, The Amityville Horror, and Continuum. Then we have Michael Rady. He has roles on Chicago Med, The Guardian, J. Edgar, and Jane the Virgin. Oh, which makes sense looking back at it. I forgot about that. Um, and then also kind of a jump scare, we have Jesse Williams playing Leo. Um, I was very surprised to see him. He is in Cabin in the Woods, Grey's Anatomy, and Little Fires Everywhere. And then last but not least, we have Tom Wisdom. (laughs) Tom Wisdom, that's his name? I guess, yeah. Wow, okay. We have Mr. Wisdom playing Ian. (laughs) Um, And he's in 300, which I can totally see, The Boat That Rocked, and Romeo and Juliet, which... Which it's version? Not, it's which version not it? the Claire Danes, Leo, DiCaprio one. It's a, a different it's one. It's not Romeo plus Juliet no. Boslerman. No. The budget was $27 million and domestically it made $44,089,964. Really good. Really good numbers it's pulling in here. I know. And then internationally, it looks like they didn't really push it that hard because <laughs> it, I mean, either that or the people weren't interested. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but it made 262,453. And so worldwide added together, that's 44,352,417. So I feel like, wow. yeah, I feel like that did what it was supposed to do economically. So now we have critic and audience opinions. So let's start with the critics. So the critic score for this movie overall was 66%. And the critic consensus is as follows. The workable chemistry among the four leads combined with the enriching message, question mark, <laughs> by me, make for a winning sisterhood of the traveling pants too. Sisterhood. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. <laughs> sisterhood. Good God. Okay. So this is what uh, Roger Ebert had to say. As for the pants themselves, they've gathered a lot of patches and embroideries over the three years since the last installment and still fit. 
but not so much is made about them in this film. And by the end, they've disappeared, sparing us the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 3 and the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 4. The movies are inspired by the novels of Anne Brashares, but this one, I learn, combines plot details from novels 2, 3, and 4, and so the sisters can go their separate ways, no doubt keeping in touch by email, and congratulating themselves on being infinitely better than the Yaya sisterhood. And and so what he is referring to, like Sex in the City with that, and so this, this second oh. quote is about that aspect. The movie intercuts quickly, but not confusingly from one story to another, is dripping with seductive locations, is not shy about romantic cliches, and has a lot of heart. The women are all sincere, intelligent, vulnerable, sweet, <laughs> and warm. That's in contrast to Sex in the City with its narcissistic and shallow heroines. The Sex in the City ladies should fill their flasks with cosmopolitans, go to see the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants too, and cry their hearts out with futile regret for their misspent lives. What the fuck? Yeah, I was like, Roger, Roger, please take it back. I don't want to hate you for this. I feel like that's a comment that like a 12-year-old would make. Like that's the weirdest comment. Right. Uh, you would think that somebody who has to watch everything and really take in everything that comes out yeah. would like have a new, more nuanced understanding of of Sex and the City. And it's not even that it's supposed to be for a nuanced interpretation. It's just that like, this just seems unnecessary. Like, I don't get this comparison yeah. because there's four girls, four women, they have to be comparable. They're not comparable. So just don't. Compare right. them. One is for adults and one is for children. They're not the same. Totally. Audience score, we got 66%. And uh, here are some little snippets from the audience, things I had to say. Firstly, like Gossip Girl and Ugly Betty, but not as smart. The Sisterhood movies are a guilty pleasure of mine. I love all the different stories and they always cast beautiful men. I may go to bat about that statement for this oh, movie. Shit. Okay. Just just foreshadowing. Because you think they're ugly? More ma- <laughs> I don't think anyone is ugly, but one of them I find to be chilling. Oh, well, chilling I know it's Tom Wisdom, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Okay. Like Tom Wisdom like will show up in your doorway with like lightning cracking behind him in the middle of the night and like will stab you. Yeah. That's how I feel about Tom yeah. Wisdom. Okay. And lastly, more mature yet less grounded and impactful than the first. Still, it holds together. We got to recognize the audience score and the critic score are the same. Oh, that's interesting. Which is crazy. That has never happened to us. Um, yeah, and I that is weird. And sixty six percent that just feels like the right amount of like <laughs> of like meh, like passive acceptance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, do you want to take us into this cultural context section, Audrey? Yeah, so 2008, we, I don't know that we've ever covered 2008. We've done 2007. Oh, yeah, okay, so we have done it once, at least. Mm -hmm. Popular movies of 2008, The Dark Knight, Wild Child, which I have not seen. Uh, I think I kind of have to. Early Emma Roberts is just something else. Twilight, another yeah. Cinderella story, Baby Mama, Mama Mia, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, Sex in the City movie, the first one, Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, and High School Musical 3. Wow. Like, these are big franchises we're talking about. 
all in the same year. Yes. So the same year that The Dark Knight came out, Heath Ledger passed away, which was a huge thing. I remember when that happened, like I knew about it, but I had no idea what actually happened. I didn't like understand the significance of that. The Miley Cyrus, Annie Leibovitz, Vanity Fair scandalous cover came out. Obama was elected, casual. Um, Britney's Circus <laughs> reached number one on the charts. Jamie Lynn Spears gave- That was the comeback. Yeah, that was the circus Sorry. comeback. Um, Jamie Lynn Spears yeah. gave birth. Um, rest in peace to Zoe 101, our favorite late night show. A damn shame. <laughs> A damn shame. Our favorite 8 p.m. fair. Yeah. Um, Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure you guys have seen the, these ads, but Gossip Girl got all this negative attention from um, like parents and from various news outlets. And they turned the quotes into publicity with like pictures of them making out with each other and like put them in magazines. And it was, mm-hmm. it was very powerful. I, I gotta be honest. Yeah. And effective. Yeah. And then finally, Nikki Blonsky and her father were arrested after getting in a fight with the family of an America's Next Top Model contestant named Bianca Golden at the airport. And I just know, because obviously this is the year after Hairspray came out. So she was still, you know, near the top of like cultural consciousness. So the fact that that story blew up is just like so unfortunate. When did we first watch this movie and what do we remember? I will start us off by saying last night was the first time I've ever watched this movie. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I think I've only ever seen it maybe two times before this time and not memorable. It's just not memorable. Um, I wasn't really Mm -hmm. aware of it when it came out. I think I was, I don't know what we were doing, but we had moved recently. But I think we were doing theater camps. Thank you very much. (laughs) We were gripped by our theater camps. We were, yeah, we were just like too caught up in our own neuroses to like worry about it. So I don't know, maybe we were cultivating the vast gardens of our social life. (laughs) Who knows? But we were not watching this movie. I, I remember that summer I had a really like crazy birthday party where I invited my new friends and my old friends and oh I remember that it was like scary it was your end game it was your end yeah it was like an insane crossover that I never wanted to experience again after that it was cute I thought it was fun I mean I just got to like watch it very objectively so I was like ooh, can't wait to see how this turns out I mean I I think it was cute but I was like a little awkward of course You really had, like, a good solid group of, like, girlfriends in our old neighborhood. And it seemed like our new neighborhood, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had, I had like, I actually had, like, my own sisterhood of the traveling pants girls, like, when in elementary school. Like, there's there's this picture of us, like, walking on the sidewalk, linked arms, like, the four of us from the back. And it's so cute. I never had like a, a a deeply legitimate girl group of friends like that, but that's mostly because I feel like all of my closest friends have been like either one singular girl or just like gay boys. Yeah. So, I mean, if you count my gay boy friends as the dolls, as the girls, then yes, yeah. I've definitely had groups of friends, but not with all um, biological women, I suppose. <laughs> if you have not watched this movie 
Okay, I rented this movie on the Apple TV, but Audrey said she watched it on Tubi. Yeah, Tubi is, well, unfortunately, it's free, but it does have ads. It's an AVOD platform. If you had just Googled Tubi, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2, it came up. It's there for free. Here's the thing, though. I have an Apple TV, and I wanted to lay on my couch and watch it, and I didn't give a shit. Tubi has an app. Tubi has an app. (laughs) Fine, I'll get the app, but I have no regrets about my rental. Okay, well, good. You just provided some coins for Amazon. I mean, they're all evil. Why are you acting as if Tubi (laughs) is more honorable? Because Tubi is the underdog of the streaming platforms. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey said... You can watch it on Tubi. And I said, girl, what? And she said, girl, look it up. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, so you can watch this on Tubi if you like to suffer. And otherwise, you can rent it for $4. Um, And we will meet you back here very shortly to discuss this movie. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. Okay, everyone, we are back and it is time to get into our scholarly academic (laughs) unpacking of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2. Right off the bat, of course, Tibby's at NYU. I just, I I did not remember that. And the image that they have portrayed of what that means is hilarious. (laughs) It's actually, in my opinion, pretty accurate. Like, I think she was holding one of those, like, megaphone type things. Oh, that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, You mean on her student film shoot? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I literally wrote Serena because to me, she's Serena. But that that Bridget is at Brown. Why is it that Blake Lively is always going to Brown and things? Yeah. (laughs) Literally. Okay. I just want to say on that note, this is one of my bad things, but the fact that these bitches go to... NYU, Brown, RISD, and Yale. And they all act as if that's the equivalent of going to like Miami University. They act like that's nothing. I'm like, do you not understand that to go to those schools, it would have to be your whole life trying to get into those schools, especially like, just no, just no. Yeah, Uh, I agree. Mm -hmm. It was far too casual. Why were they like, Lena's a scholarship student at RISD, but they don't talk about anyone else's like like financial situation. And on top of that, her house is huge. (laughs) 
It's like, it great, so this money, sense. the money is going to a girl who does not need it. Right. I was okay. just like, bitch, great. you fly out to Greece to look for a pair of jeans. Why are you going <laughs> like, to school? With fully subsidized. <laughs> like, I just have so many questions about that, but okay. Carmen with the stage manager representation. That is something wow. that I can appreciate that is something that does not get its day in the sun yeah well she only represents that for all of eight minutes so I hope you appreciated it when it was there but it felt genuine you know (laughs) like I was like yeah me and Carmen would be that bitch like it makes sense Carmen is so me for not making summer plans and just trusting that her (laughs) friends are gonna be there the whole time (laughs) That whole moment was a gag. I felt bad for her. That was one of my only parts of the movie that I liked, actually. Yeah, that felt really real to me. And I was like, yeah, yeah." I was like, yes, absolutely. And I felt like that would be me, too. Yes. And the fact that girls just want to have fun was playing in the background. I was like, yeah, okay, okay, filmmaking. Like, this is a nice (laughs) moment. I can appreciate the slight to not so slight male objectification that they do mm-hmm. attempt here. Obviously, they're not going to go as far as men go when they're objectifying women. Of course, they're not going to go. They're not going to yeah. do what is done to them entirely. But with Jesse Williams, they are lingering. Let me tell you. Yeah. They are lingering on his body for sure. The fact that Tibby works at Two Boots Video. Yeah. That was great. And Easter Egg. There's shot. There's a shot of her standing by a bunch of like VHSs. And do you know what's on? Do you know what these VHSs were? I was looking at them, but tell me what you found. Freaky Friday. The 90s Annie. Um... And Anastasia, and then just like a bunch of like movies of that sort. But I thought, I thought that was powerful. I kind of appreciate that they were talking about the use of condoms in a movie for young people, regardless of how it was handled or like the logistics of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The fact that it was even brought up is something. Like, I feel like usually, uh, it's more like you you know they had sex and then she takes a pregnancy test and there's like nothing in between. Yeah. Those two things. Adrian Balon, just her being here so randomly in a cameo. Her being there randomly in a cameo and playing the girlfriend of this man who's like a literal toe. <laughs> I was like, what? Like, where it did you get so this weird. man from? Where did he come from? And then finally, that corset that Carmen wears in the play is doing work. Bitch, I wrote down corset Carmen is hot. It's like crazy. That is so funny. I wrote that down too. I was like, whoa, whoa, we're getting the moment. (laughs) Like we're getting the moment. Even when she doesn't, the hair, the colors. I I was speechless. I could not ask for more. The wig, even though the wig was like a little bit bad, like in the front, but it was still nice. Her hair throughout this movie looks great. It looks so good. There was this one scene towards the end, right before they go to Greece. They're sitting on the front porch and I was like, what the fuck? Her hair looked so good in that scene. Like perfect execution of layers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is great for 2008. That is exactly what, what was going on. The scene with Blake Lively having the nightmare and flipping out, 
I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> like, oh, this shit is for real. Like when the grandma yeah. came in and she was like like yelling at the grandma, I was like, I'm I'm getting out my ratchet <laughs> straps for this one. Like I just was very shocked by how good that was. Like the voiceover at the end to me was so bad it was good. Because it was Same, yeah. very classic Sister of the Traveling Pants. Like, But it's like they didn't really cultivate the VO in the same way in this movie that they did in the last one. Right. So it didn't fully work, but I still, you know, I still got slight like tears in the eyes just because. Same. Oh, you oh, know I cried. Is. Like, I, of course. <laughs> like, okay. It's not hard. You know how they try to like convince you that the friend Julia is like not gonna stab Carmen in the back literally the moment you lay eyes upon her you're like you know because she looks just like every girl who played a part like that in that era like the girl from Camp Rock Sharpay like all that but Sharpay looks less like that type but you know like she just fell into it though she did fall into that general category of like diva blonde girl yes um i just would like to say that i think these movies sisterhood of the traveling pants i think that they just like to see blake lively squinting in the sun both of them (laughs) i know that's that's in my bad that's in my worst now it's like every movie she's just like wiping sweat off her forehead and like squinting in the sun like i'm just like get out of here why is Alexis Bledel's house so white on the inside? I just found that to be weird. Some um, shots of her in her house looked like a drug commercial. 100%. I totally agree. <laughs> when they talk about the emails not working and Blake Lively's like, it's not my fault. I have a lame server. I was just like, what? Um, and then yeah. <laughs> really my last thing is like, Okay, so if they can all afford a last-minute trip to Greece, they all have, like, money. Like, it just didn't make sense. But then they explain it away. Everything that has to do with money, they explain away. But I didn't think it was a good enough explanation. Neither do I, but they are intending the, the, uh, my dad has all these extra miles and we use those to be here. That She literally says that. I know, but like also for your dad to have that many miles, you would have to have a lot of money because your dad would have to be rich. Yeah. Well, remember, her dad's not in this movie, obviously, but remember her dad did marry a rich woman in the first movie. Oh, wait, was it Carmen's dad? <laughs> Yeah, Carmen's dad. Okay, I couldn't remember whose who's dad provided the miles. How dare I forget whose fictional <laughs> father provided the airline miles. Okay, is it time to get into the officially bad list? I really feel like it's just difficult to create a compelling movie when the girls are divided from the start. They start yeah. on a deficit. They're already down. We're kicking them when they're down. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a lot harder to to feel uh, kind of like the through line or like the, I don't know how to explain it, but like in the first movie, they have that tight bond and you can see that. And then, you yeah. know, they might slowly lose it and then come back together. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, we're already kind of disbanded and then we get even more disbanded and then we're kind of they are kind of just like settled they're they've like accepted it a little bit they're like okay yeah so it's just harder as an audience member I think in a book that could work better than in a movie it's just like a a little bit difficult 
to mm-hmm. feel passionate about. When Tibby says, I was supposed to write a rom-com, but my characters broke up. And that Boo. is the reason that she failed a class and has Boo. to go to summer school. I was like, first Hate. of all, that is not how... This doesn't even make sense. I have to, first of all, summer school, question mark. That's not a thing. And then also. Or just to make up the class really is what she was saying. Well, right. But her being like, being in New York all summer is going to suck. I was like, what world does that suck? Like, Like, it's not like boo. (laughs) You just got like rewarded for failing. Like you flunked and now you're getting a reward. Like, cool. Okay. As we have kind of alluded to, archaeological camp for Bridget makes no sense. (laughs) And it's like, you know, we're going to throw in a scene of her playing soccer at the archaeological camp because she played soccer in the first movie. Why don't you just have, if if she had to go somewhere, she could have still been playing soccer, like for college. Yeah, right. Like, I don't understand why we had, the whole thing, it all comes back to this idea of like how she's going to relate to her mom. It's really interesting how they, with Bridget's storyline specifically, it goes off track entirely about halfway yes. through the movie and her everything changes for her halfway through the movie. <laughs> and like, you think she's going to see this through. You kind of think she's going to like have this full growth moment in Turkey or whatever because yeah. she sees the, her professor lady with her family and she's like some, she's like mad at her for having a family. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then she leaves Well, it's also like, why would you throw in this like expensive extra location? And the fact that she like yells at her dad for keeping the letters from her, which is weird because the notebook we just did. And Mm -hmm. then it like basically like immediately she's just like in Turkey. It's like, what? And then also just like the way that they reveal, the way that she reveals her plans in the yoga studio. And she's just like, yeah, I'm going to (laughs) Turkey. Like I'm going for this archaeological dig. Like that's what I'm doing. That's it. It's like, bitch, what? Like where did that even come from? Honestly, kind of true to life. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Like she would do that. It's like, of course you're like. some girl. Yeah. (sighs) Totally. (laughs) And, and it kind of contributes to that feeling in a sort of realistic way, actually, now that I think about it, of like, we don't have much in common anymore. And we're just yeah. like grasping at straws to like remain a, a friend group. Yeah. Um, which is something they do speak explicitly about towards the mm-hmm. end of the movie. And I thought that scene was kind of interesting, actually, that they were they were talking about it so explicitly once they were all back and in the yoga studio and Alex Fidel is like, my sister lost the jeans. And they're like, well, why do we even need the jeans? Like, what's, <laughs> they're like, bitch, I don't want to see your face ever again. And then she just goes, well, I'm going to go find the jeans. Smash cut to Greece. <laughs> it's like a dream sequence. It's like, how is this even happening? I felt like that scene cut off before they got to the meet. Yeah. Like that scene could have been really interesting, but she decides to cut it off with just going to Greece. I said, Bridget is an eat, pray, love kind of bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. She totally is. Like she will leave to find herself and then come back two weeks later. That is exactly what she will do. Yep. 
I said the dude at the acting school sucks because he sucks. Do you mean the actor or the director? Because I hate them both. Both, but like more so the actor. (laughs) The fact that she, when she meets him, he's dressed in the fugliest outfit I've ever seen in my life. I was like, I like could not believe that that is like how all the boys dressed in this movie. I was like, this is repugnant. I cannot stand for this. They look like hell. That was like the vibe. That was the vibe in 2008. It's not okay. It's kind of like a failed enemies to lovers trope. It's like a very half-assed enemies to lovers. Yeah. Yeah. Like I totally understand her impulse to be like, fuck you towards this guy. And she is for like most of the time. But at some point the switch is flipped and she's like into it. And I don't really, I don't really buy it. I think it's more one of those things of like this guy is um, just older and like an established actor. And so for basically that reason alone, she's like attracted to him in some way. Yeah, I was like, I just don't believe that Carmen would care about this. Like, I don't think that she would like him. I think that he would have to like show some kind of real vulnerability about himself or like make some big mistake for her to see him as a person. Like he just is like a Nilla wafer for two hours straight and we're, and we're supposed to swoon. Like that's, (laughs) that's how it feels. I'm like, this guy's boring. Oh, that's from Clueless. I was like, yes. what is that from? Yeah, that's from yeah. Clueless. Um, <laughs> and lastly, oh yeah, I said, why would they be playing soccer at a digging site? <laughs> that's just not, yeah. you only did that so you could loop in soccer to the movie and then have her like mess up on the job or whatever. The entire existence, now I don't know if Effie exists in the books, she very well might. Yeah. And if so, then I understand her existence here more. But even if she does a- exist in the books, she is something that can be eliminated for a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because the conflict with her and Tibby is the most out of left field thing. Basically, yeah. she threatens to take Tibby's man, who she already wants to break up with anyway, and has <laughs> just had a pregnancy scare with. And then it, it turns out that he, Brian's not even, like, into Effie. So, like, nothing really comes of that. Lucy Hale and Alexis Bledel literally could have been acting with each other via green screen with the amount of <laughs> chemistry they have. It is... They might have been. <laughs> it is so non-existent. I was like, Lucy Hale's doing the most and Alexis Bledel is just doing the thing that she does which is nothing yeah and I and it it. works in tandem with some actors like I feel like Alexis Bledel and America Ferreira there's some weird chemistry there like I kind of get that I get that sort of friendship Alexis Bledel face to face with Lucy Hale is like it's like defeating the final boss of like your typecast yeah. like yes yes exactly like she probably they probably were just like not about it with each other <laughs> and so I mean, within reason oh my god okay Lucy Hale tried to have a singing career and there's this one song <laughs> Um, she tried to also specifically have a country. It's not pop. It's country. It's country? <laughs> yeah. You Ooh. need to listen to this song 
I, you sound good to me. It is it's actually really good. I like, but it's like for it's like definitely for a man to sing. Like, like you know when you listen to like whoever wrote it was definitely a man, and it was definitely for a man because the lyrics that she is saying are just not things that teenage girls would like come up with. Yes. Yes. Please, I'm begging you, listener, <laughs> listen to it. I'm going to post it. I mean, not to harp on the archaeology again, but just like <laughs> the whole scene where the archaeology professor was like, yeah, like this this skeleton lived to be 35. And Blake Lively's like, my mother died at 35. It was giving me uh, your mother always liked the nuts from Billboard Dad. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, like yeah. very heavy handed grief out of nowhere that's like verbalized in a way that's really not realistic. Obviously, this movie's predictable as shit. You know that uh, Julia's lying about the date. You know that she's rotted. And it's like you see her, you make that assumption and you're like, am I just being a misogynist? Is she actually going to be fine? And then all your assumptions end up being right. And you're like, OK, yeah, this is 2008. And of like, course. it's just so bizarre that I'm a. Um, uh, movie with such um kind of untraditional view and understanding of girls and like women would villainize her like that a la Mm -hmm. camp rock a la whatever you know insert movie here when um you know they basically just paint her out to be a liar and that she's desperate and that she like what you know it's it's just a super like one-dimensional view of yes of someone um, yes. That it is kind of uncommon in a movie like this. Like you, you just don't expect it, and then it comes. All of the boys, except for Costas and maybe Jesse Williams, wear horrible hats at one point or another, including unironic fedoras, and I just hate it. Um, also of the time, though. <laughs> yes, very of the time. The whole logistics of Carmen having that DVD and watching it right before she goes I on. I was like, how would it get there fast enough? Like there was just a lot about it that I was like, that doesn't make sense, but whatever. And then the whole ending just really, I really don't like it. It's so unrealistic. And they're standing with their clothes in rainbow order at one point. <laughs> and to me, it just is giving me we wanted to send these girls on an all expense paid vacation to Greece. And so we did it. And we got a lot of B-roll of them being friends. Like them yeah. jumping into the water, basically fully out of character. I was just like, uh, is this just like your guys's vacation home video? Like, <laughs> I don't really get that. Let's just say it did not have the plot relevance of <laughs> um, uh, Emma Roberts and Jojo jumping off. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's all we're asking for. That's all we're asking for. <laughs> and then my last statement is, I already forget the name of Tibby's boyfriend, Brian, right? Brian. Brian, okay. yeah. Brian still dated Effie. 
regardless. Yeah, but it was like, it was so unclear as to how or how long or even if that happened. Basically, they just, Tibby just saw them talking. And then he kind of comes back and is like, nah, that wasn't me. Like, I'm not, right, that's like, not why? me. Why? <laughs> I don't believe And <laughs> Like, he, it was you, actually. The last thing I need in my life is like abortion scare set at NYU. Like, based <laughs> yeah. off my personal lived experience, that is truly a nightmare I could have on any given night. So it's just like... Yeah. I mean, and also if the whole, the uh, kind of like the takeaway of Tibby's storyline in this one is pretty murky. Yeah. Um, as Not that I think there are any clear answers here because there, there aren't. But as far as like, you know, she reckons with the idea of being pregnant, isn't pregnant, and then witnesses a baby being born. But she doesn't learn something in the same way that she learned something with Bailey in the first movie. She learns about, you know, not being cynical all the time and like, you know, finding ways to like get in touch with herself, like she getting through her facade kind of thing. Yeah. This movie is like weirdly preoccupied with pregnancy, like a lot, like pregnancy and motherhood, but they like never really address it that head on. Yeah, like it's it's probably just a little half baked in at through adaptation. Like I yeah. would assume that theme would be more clear in the books. Yeah, honestly, I kind of want to read the books. I'm kind, I'm know, like, I'm kind of down. Like yeah. I'm, I'm ready. Oh my god, what if we did a book club sleepover book club? That would be fun. Traveling pants. That would be really fun. I agree. It was half baked. Um, Let's just, in my dated and problematic section, let's just talk about the psycho behavior of Costas showing up at RISD. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And let's just talk about her friends deciding she should be with him without consulting her. Jesse Williams was right there. But also, wasn't Jesse Williams giving you slight, like, polyamorous guy vibes at certain points? (laughs) Um, I didn't really think of it that way, but I guess I could see that because he's all like, she's basically like, do you believe in love with one person? And he's like, no. (laughs) Well, he was like, there was something specific in the way that he, that like the lines were written that I was like, yeah, why does this feel like it's hinting at something? It's uh, sort of strange to me anyway, when people do believe that you are meant to be with one person. I think that is a strange belief because that's such a depressing idea. You could very well never come in contact with that person. I think that fate can like, if you will, fate can like push you towards people, but like you can always be with someone else. And also you can always be by yourself. Right. Like you have options. (laughs) It's really, it's really okay. But yeah, um, I think that idea was really lightly explored, but not mm-hmm. not <laughs> not mm-hmm. enough to like make any strong points. I just wrote these people really have some time, uh, some travel money and time, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I guess they are yeah. all in college. We haven't done a sequel on this show in a while. Um, But if you Mm -hmm. listened to some of our earlier episodes, you will know that normally when we do sequel episodes, we bring up the Shea Frillis rules of sequels. So this is a YouTuber who we really love. If you like this show, you've probably seen his videos. It's funny because we've probably, 
I don't know if we always say chevrilis, but it's definitely chevrilis. Okay, chevrilis. I was, I didn't know. Okay. You used to say chevrilis, I think. So I it's got it like, from how you. Could we, yeah, like there's nothing in the spelling that alludes to shay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We were just trying our best. Okay. So the rules of what makes a good sequel, there are four of them. The first one is expanding the universe. The second one is continuing the story. The third one is expand themes and introduce new themes. And then four is leave an impact on the universe in a positive way. So first of all, does it expand mm-hmm. the universe? Yes. Yes, technically. Do- technically, yeah. <laughs> does it continue the story? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's like, I don't know if I could really verbalize how it doesn't. Expand on themes slash introduce new themes. It tried to. It tries. Sex was in the first one as well. So that one was That's already there. really the 15 by Taylor Swift is in the, yeah. the first one. Yeah. But, you know, there were some themes explored in the first one that weren't in the second one. Like, Carmen's whole thing with, uh, like, she hated her dad's new family because they were, like, these blonde white people that, like, did not appreciate her culture or, like, who she was. Yeah. And I kind of think that it's nice that that's not there in the second movie. Because, first of all, we already did it, so why would we do it again? But also just America Ferreira as an actress should not have to. Like, only do that retracing these these lines over and over again. Right, totally. I did think it was a little weird that there was like no regard to that in the extremely white waspy Vermont theater setting, but whatever. Mm-hmm. And then number four, leave an impact on the universe of the movies in a positive way. I think people would much rather just remember the first movie and kind of forget that the second one happened. Um, yeah. It, it's not egregious. It just doesn't have nearly the same emotional impact as the first one. So, okay. If you guys listen to the first episode or the first season of Sleepover, we did an episode on Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and we really loved it. And we really got into like the, into the thick of it with the meaning of this, of the first movie. And to me, it's like an escapist exploration of what if you and your friends didn't grow apart? What if you having nothing in common didn't cause damage? What if um, you could like bridge all these divides like in perpetuity and like your friend group gets to stay intact despite the odds? And I kind of feel like that like super idealistic belief is like the core of the first movie that like despite it all, the friendship will still be there. And I feel like part of why the second one is like not that fun to watch is because it's like, okay, that the escapism is gone. The dream is gone. We're growing apart and it starts that way. And then by the end they're like, but we're friends still. And it's like, okay, but like, you didn't really even start with each other in the first place. You're like low key mad at each other the whole time. It's like, I don't want to see the defraying of this holy friend group. Like I want it to be sturdy. Yeah. And they, they did not do a convincing job of having it be sturdy. Now that is realistic. It's not that, that actually is more realistic, but that's not why people love these movies. People don't go to Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants to see realism. realism. (laughs) No. (laughs) So like, I don't know. I think it's a hard line to, um, toe. 
But having this fatal combination of unrealistic logistics, like the Uh logistics of this movie are so unrealistic, but the, the, the emotional, like, underpinnings are realistic. And so it makes for, like... A weird experience. Here we have this group of like 21-year-old girls who are this old friend group where there's a shitload of tension and things are coming apart at the seams. Let's throw them on an airplane to travel to Greece together to go show up and impose on Lena's family. Like, oh yeah, that'll go well. Like, you know, it's just like stuff like that where it's like that wouldn't work and we're supposed to just like dismiss it. But like the illusion has been shattered by the beginning of the movie. So mm-hmm. it just doesn't really and like the work. Whole, the whole idea of the ending is we don't need the pants to keep us together. I think what they're trying to say is that they've like outgrown the mechanism to keep them together and they can just figure it out as adults. And that's a nice idea. Yeah. I think that a nice idea. Yeah. I think being like freed from the obligations that come along with like high school friendships where it's like super consistent, constant communication, like expectations of each other, that sort of thing. Like being freed from that makes sense for the ages they are, Mm -hmm. but it just like isn't quite messy enough to really be believable. It doesn't give you that same level of warm and fuzzy. Because if I think they could achieve that idea, like had the plot went down differently, like had the the stories literally been different, I think they could have gotten to a place where you're feeling that height of emotion for them, but in a more like adult way. I can see what they were trying to do, though, and I do appreciate that. I think it's fun. It is fun, especially um, then to try to, like in 2008, now it's like reboots are everywhere. So it's like a little less. <laughs> yeah. It's a little less fun to see these old characters reunited. Okay. Well, we really, we've really been going in on these movies lately. <laughs> yeah. I think my brain is more turned on these days than it has been in a while. So I think that's why I have so much to say. That's our take on Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Is it worth it? I say no. I kind of want to say just rewatch the first one if you want to feel those feelings. Yeah. And if you're just curious about what we're talking about, or like, yeah. it, it certainly is an experience. Like, I it's would, interesting. It's interesting, but it's not good. I don't know. I definitely am curious to see what you all say about this movie and like if any of you love it and why. The stuff that's written about Bridget's mom and the way that the grandma acts, all of that acting is really excellent, I think. And that deserves flowers, but that's kind of where it ends for me. The The grandma went off. Giving it to us. The grandma went off. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We will be back next week with another episode. If you want to see my play, Audrey's going to tape it in a professional way. Um, And so I will be able to share that with anyone who wants. Uh, What we could do is to do a premiere of it on YouTube and then there's a live chat. Oh, Oh, that would be cute. Yeah. So then like if people just want, we can like remind and then just show up at the time and then like live chat. Oh my God. Okay. That's a good idea. That's good for everyone. Wow. Okay. Okay. Miss technology. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll definitely do that once we have it. Thank you for listening to this epic exploration of this movie. Sisterhood. We know something about. (laughs) (laughs) Too true. So true. (laughs) Thanks.
<laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer of this show is Michael D'Aloya. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if it's become a staple of your weekly routine, or if it's a new show you've been listening to, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share an episode with a few friends, maybe even both. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Bye. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.